Good morning. Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 31. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out the village. And we had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked him, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Central West End Church. Uh, if I've not had the pleasure of meeting you, uh, my name is Matt Creasy. I'm one of the pastoral interns here at church, and Eric and Jenny are out of town this week. Um, so I, I'm going to assume that most of you have seen the new movie, Encanto. It's like a really big deal right now, right? Like everybody's super into it. Um, I know my kids are really, really into it. If you've not seen it, uh, the basic storyline is that there's this family, a Colombian family called the Madrigals, and they all have magical abilities, all right, except for the, the, the protagonist, Maribel, who's right there in the center. Uh, but anyway, they, I, I don't want to give away too much, but essentially what begins to happen is they realize the magical house that they live in, which actually represents the family itself, is cracking. It's falling apart. It's disintegrating Right, And I won't tell you who, again, because I don't want to ruin it, but what we find out towards the end of the movie is that the reason the house is falling apart, the reason the family is falling apart, is that there is one character who has stopped seeing the rest of the family. That they've gotten so consumed with the idea that they are this magical family that they've failed, they've become blind to the fullness of the people in their own family. Right? Now, I think the reason this movie is so popular and is just so, like, so many people are into it is one, like, the music. But two, I think a lot of us resonate with that feeling. I think a lot of us have had the experience of, like, here are these people that are super close to me. If anybody should see me, it should be them, and they don't see me at all. Can any of you resonate with that? So we are, if you haven't been with us, we are in a series called Strange Encounters with Jesus, 
where we're looking at various encounters in the Gospels where Jesus just, he does weird stuff. And what we've been finding is that the strangeness of the encounter wakes us up to the reality of Jesus. And our encounter this morning is, let's just, is weird, right? I mean, for one, Jesus spits on a guy. Ew. Uh, but even weirder than that, it's like Jesus does this miracle and it doesn't work the first time. Like, what's going on? Uh, but what we're going to see as we dive into this passage together this morning is that what Jesus is saying, he's saying that, you know, in the same way when you don't see somebody for who they really are, there's this, it kind of has this destructive force in the relationship. Jesus is saying that when we don't see who he really is, not only does it have a destructive power in our relationship with him, but it blinds us to seeing ourselves and others for who we truly are, and it's destroying all of us. So lest we be destroyed, let's see what Jesus has to show us. And we're going to do that, you're probably not surprised, by looking at three things. Okay, there's nothing magical, by the way, about the number three. We just, it just happens to be a great number for sermons. Okay, uh, so three things. The blindness, the healing, and the sight. Okay, pretty simple. The blindness, the healing, and the sight. Okay, so first we're going to look at the blindness. So let's, let's go back to our passage. Uh, these people in the, the village of Bethsaida bring up this blind man to be healed by Jesus. Uh, at this point in his ministry, Jesus has been doing public miracles for a while. He's becoming more well-known. Okay, so they knew like, oh, this is the guy that's like healing people and driving out demons and all that stuff. Let's, so they bring this blind man. But the first odd thing that happens, you might not have even noticed. All right, so they bring him up to him. And Jesus, who, again, he's been doing public miracles, big public miracles, takes the guy and leads him out of the village. He takes him into a private place where it's just Jesus, the blind man, and the disciples. Why does he do that? Well, the text doesn't say, but it should clue us that something interesting is about to happen. So then he spits on the guy, and we're going to get to the spit in a minute, okay? Just hold that there, okay? And he puts his hand on the guy, and then he says, okay, what do you see? And the guy's like, well, I mean, I see people, but they, they look like trees, meaning that it's like he can see, but his vision's really, really blurry. He's not blind anymore, but functionally, he's still kind of blind, right? It's like the miracle didn't work. And then so Jesus does it again, and now the guy can see. So what's the deal? Is Jesus just like having an off day? Was he just kind of like lazily like boop? And then like, oh, shoot, I didn't, do, I didn't miracle hard enough. Sorry, let me try that again. Ah! Right? No, no, that's not what's happening, okay? And we know that because this is the only instance in the entire New Testament where Jesus redoes a miracle. Everywhere else we see in the entire Bible, Jesus has no problem executing power, right? He's healing people with a word, with a touch. He's even healing people from a distance. He's like, oh yeah, your servant, they're healed, go home, right? He's telling a storm with, with two words, be still, and it stops, all right? There is nothing in the entire New Testament that suggests there is an, any sort of problem with Jesus's power, Okay, so the only logical explanation is that Jesus is doing this on purpose. Why? Why would Jesus intentionally heal this guy in stages? Well, the answer is actually something we've already seen before, is that Jesus is using this blind man and, his, and the healing that he, that he gives him 
as a kind of living parable, as a picture of something else. What is that something else? Well, to see that, we, gotta, we actually got to zoom out a little bit, okay? So we're in Mark chapter 8, earlier in the chapter, right? right kind of right at the beginning, we get the account of Jesus feeding 4,000 people, okay? He takes just a few loaves and a few small fishes and miraculously multiplies them and feeds 4,000 people with seven baskets of leftovers, okay? So big, big miracle. And then right after that, right after that, he gets approached by the Pharisees. You guys remember the Pharisees? We've talked about them a number of times. They're the religious leaders of the day. And they come to Jesus and they question him. And they interrogate him and, say they, and they demand a sign. They say, show us a sign to prove that you have the authority to say the things that you're saying. Because, you know, miraculously feeding 4,000 people, that's, that's not adequate, right? And Jesus gets really discouraged and he sighs and says, he calls them a wicked and perverse generation. Harsh words, Jesus. What's the deal? Well, what Jesus is saying and what, he's, what is obvious to him and should be to us is that the Pharisees aren't actually interested in proof, right? The proof is right there in front of them. And it's been all the things Jesus has been doing in public, those are the signs they're looking for, okay? So the fact that they're demanding more signs shows that they don't want to see Jesus for who he is They prefer to stick to a narrative that makes them comfortable. They want to be blind to who he is because he's not on board with the agenda they want. So that happens. And then right after that, Jesus is alone with the disciples again. And again, he's frustrated. And he says says to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Okay, now leaven is something you use to make bread. Okay, he says this. And the disciples... They think Jesus is being passive-aggressive. You see, they had forgotten to bring bread. They didn't have any lunch with them, and they're like, oh, do you, do you think that he knew that we forgot to bring bread? Why? And how does Jesus respond to them? So Jesus, being aware of this, that what they're talking about, and said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Right? Jesus is like, guys, just what, however many days ago, I miraculously fed 4,000 people. Do you really think I'm that concerned about your lack of lunch? So then we get the account of the blind man, right? And then right after the account of the blind man, we get to what, what Joel read for us, the, uh, Peter's confession, right? Jesus asked, hey, who do people say that I am? And, and a lot like the Pharisees, there's a lot of blindness in, out there in the community about who Jesus is, right? Some people are confusing him with John the Baptist. Some people think he's the great prophet Elijah, spirit come back from the dead or something. Other people just think he's a prophet of some kind. And Jesus kind of cuts through the gossip and says, okay, okay, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up for the whole group and says, you are the Christ. Now, the account here in Mark is kind of short, but the we get other accounts, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, that says when Peter says that, Jesus blesses him and says, blessed are you, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Jesus is the Christ, right? He is the Messiah, the promised king that would come and rescue God's people from their enemies, right? But then Jesus begins to teach them. Now, we didn't have, Joel didn't read this to you, but you guys, for those of you that know your Bible, 
When Jesus begins to teach them that the Christ must suffer, must be crucified, and must, be, must die, do you remember what Peter says? Do you remember what happens? I'll show you. Right? So, and Peter, having Jesus, after teaching them all of this stuff, took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Peter's like, oh, Jesus, no, don't say that. Don't talk like that. Don't be a Debbie Downer. Right? And then how does Jesus respond? Jesus, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Ooh, golly day. That's harsh words coming from Jesus. What's going on here? Well, you see, well, first let me say this. For the, if this is confusing, Jesus is not calling Peter the devil. He's, Jesus is using a word. It's a Hebrew word, satan. It means enemy. What Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, you are opposing me. You are standing against me right now. Well, which is it? Is, is Peter blessed by God or is he opposing Jesus? Which is it? Well, you're starting to see the picture of the blind man. In the same way, the blind man, his sight was restored, but he still couldn't really see. The disciples, they could see Jesus, but their picture was blurry. They didn't have a complete picture of him. And so because they were still functionally blind, they were still opposing him. Yes, they weren't as blind as the Pharisees and they weren't opposing him at, at that level, but their blindness still put them at odds with Jesus because they still couldn't see him for who he, all that he is. And the same is true of us. To varying degrees, we all struggle with being blind to who Jesus is. And that blindness puts us at odds with Jesus and it blinds us to who we are and to who others are. Maybe you're here and you see Jesus as the one who came in humility, the one who came to heal our diseases, who, to cleanse our iniquities, who's gentle and lowly, the one who said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now that's true. That is who Jesus is. But maybe you're blind to the reality that Jesus is also the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, which means he has authority over you and your life. And because of that blindness, you see Jesus not for the fullness of who he is, but more as a therapy tool, as somebody to help you feel better. And because of that, you see yourself as constantly in need you're constantly lacking resources and needing comfort. And other people either become a tool towards or oppositions to your own personal comfort. And you live self-indulgently. Maybe you're the person here and you kind of go the other way. You see Jesus as the king, the one who protects the weak and the vulnerable, the one who one day will come and bring justice to bear against all evil. And that is true. That is who Jesus is. But you are blind to the reality that Jesus is also the one who said, behold, I am with you until the very end of the age. The one who is our mediator right now in his physical body in the very throne room of God Almighty with holes in his hands and his feet pleading before the Father on your behalf. And because of that, you see yourself as being completely on your own. The world is on your shoulders and you walk around feeling 
resentful. You see other people as either threats to justice or burdens to bear. And your, your spiritual life has no power. There's a reason the Lord's prayer has, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Because what Jesus is showing us is that if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but you are unforgiving, you are blind to all that Jesus has forgiven on for you. To varying degrees, we are all blind to the reality of who Jesus is. And that blindness puts us in opposition to Jesus and it blinds us to the reality of who we are and who others are. And it's destroying us. So what do we do? You know, how do we, beget, how do we get not so blind? Well, Blind people can't make themselves unblind. They need healing, right? So that brings us to our second point. How does Jesus actually heal this man? Well, let's go back to our text. So he takes the blind man and he spits on him, right? And I know that's so weird, right? Like, what is he doing? Why does he spit on this guy? Now, that's weird to us. But in the ancient world, nobody would have bat an eye at that, okay? Because in the ancient world, spit was viewed to have medical properties. It was kind of viewed like a, a balm or like an oil. So, you know, it'd be like, it, if it was modern day, it, Jesus, like Jesus put essential oils on his eyes, right? Something like that. It's something like, oh, okay, yeah, some sort of balm. And then, so it's, Jesus takes this very ordinary thing, this very common thing that everybody was familiar with, and like, okay, and he uses it supernaturally to bring this guy sight. Okay, but notice it's not just that he uses this ordinary thing. He also engages the man, and the man engages back. Jesus asks him the question, okay, what, what do you see? Well, I see people, but they look like trees, right? So the man is actually, he talks to Jesus. They're having a conversation. They, they go through this process together. So what is this telling us? Well, it's telling us that Jesus wants to supernaturally heal our blindness, but and he primarily does that when we engage him through ordinary means. Now, what do I mean by ordinary means? Oop. Well, it's stuff like prayer, both personal prayer and prayer with others. It's stuff like meeting together in community, like in community groups or one-on-one or having kind of mentor-disciple relationships. It means coming here or online in corporate worship, singing God's word together, hearing God's word read, hearing God's word preached. It's things like taking the Lord's Supper. Now, these things in and of themselves don't have any power, okay? There's nothing magical about these ordinary means, just like there is no magical blind cure inherent in spit, okay? That blindness is beyond the power of spit, okay? But when Jesus supernaturally touches these ordinary things, they become supernatural, and our blindness begins to be healed. Now, I don't know how that strikes you, you know, the thought of like, maybe for some of you that's really freeing, like, oh, that's what's going on. 
Maybe for others, that feels like a lot of work. <laughs> like, oh, you mean I got to read my Bible more? <laughs> right? But here's the thing. When we engage with these really ordinary things, things that don't feel very splashy, that don't feel very sexy, that just feel very like, there's just ordinary Christian stuff. When we engage with those things, like the blind man, we engage with Jesus, not turn our brains off, you know, no, just don't go on rope, but actually engage with Jesus. He supernaturally shows up and changes us. And if we do that, what will we see? Well, that brings us to our last point. We've seen the blindness, that we are all to varying degrees blind to the reality of who Jesus is. And because of that, and that blindness puts us in opposition to Jesus, and it blinds us to who we are and to who others are. And we've seen the healing that Jesus wants to, it can supernaturally heal us when we engage him by faith through ordinary means. And if we do that, we will see something. What will we see? Well, I want you to notice something really interesting about the text. It, it shows up twice. So when he heals the blind man, the first, he, tell, he heals him and then says, okay, go home. Don't go to the village where the other people are, right? Which is weird. And then next, he, when, he, when Peter confesses, Jesus, you're the Christ, what does he say? He says, don't tell anybody. <laughs> Why? Is Jesus embarrassed? What's his problem? Well, Jesus says, and he, this happens other places in the gospel too, where Jesus says, don't, don't say anything. Because they still had not gotten the full picture of who Jesus was. What did they need to see to have their sight fully restored? Well, I think to really help us grasp this picture, I need to give you an illustration. And I'm going to confess, it comes from yet another Disney movie. Okay, now this is not a sermon brought to you by Disney Pixar, I promise. I'm not advocating for Disney in any way. I'm just saying, I got three kids, so you're getting two Disney references this morning. Okay, uh, have you guys seen the movie Moana? Came out 2016. It's the story of this young South Pacific Island girl, Moana. And she is the next in line to become chief of her people. And uh, she is chosen for a very special purpose. The ocean itself chooses her to go and restore the heart of Tefiti. Tefiti is this island goddess that brings life to all the islands. And her heart's been stolen. And because of that, the fish are dying. The coconuts are rotting on the tree. The, the island life is disintegrating all around them. And so Moana gets on her boat and she goes and she has, you know, she gets help from this shapeshifter demigod Maui and her, her chicken Hey Hey, and they go through all these adventures and they finally get to where Tafiti should be. And what's standing in their way is the lava monster Taka. And Taka is really big and scary. And Taka does everything in her power to destroy Moana. She's lobbing huge globs of magma at her, slapping the water with her big arm. And Moana's like narrowly dodging death. And she finally gets around to where Tafiti should be. And there's nothing there. And suddenly Moana sees. And she turns around. And she tells the ocean. And she sees like there Taka in the distance, you know, separated by the water. And she says to the ocean, let her come. And the waters part so that now nothing stands between Moana and the destructive power of Taka. And Taka cr crawls towards her and looms over her. And as she gets closer and closer, Moana begins to sing. And she sings the song where she says, I know who you are. 
I see what's happened to you. And as she sings, the lava begins to cool on Taka's skin, and she gets very close, and Moana touches her and gently places the heart of Tafiti into Taka's chest, and instantly, Taka's transformed back into the island goddess Tafiti, and life across the islands bursts back. Now that story is a beautiful picture of the reality that we have in Jesus. You see, friends, when we were blind to the reality of who Jesus is, when we were in opposition to him, Jesus saw us for who we truly were. Not as creatures who are constantly in need or, of, or lack, not as people who have to bear all the justice of the entire world on our shoulders, not as, you know, uh, you know, creatures of destruction and pain and awfulness in this world. Rather, he saw creatures of glory that he made that were created to fill this world with life and goodness and beauty. And he opened himself up to the destructive powers of blind humanity and the wrath of God in order to restore who we truly are so that we could come back to being who God made us to be. You see, friends, you can't really understand who Jesus is without the cross. Yes, Jesus is the king. Yes, he is the one who brings justice. Yes, he is the one who heals our diseases. But at the very heart of who Jesus is, is the cross, is the one who saw us for who we truly are and who gave himself up for us. And there's, he's more than that, but that is the center of who he is. And when you gaze at that, when you engage Jesus in just the ordinary means of the Christian life and he supernaturally begins to give you sight and that becomes clearer and clearer and clearer in your vision, soon you begin to see yourself clearly. And you begin to see others clearly. You begin to see them with the dignity that they truly have and the purpose for which God put them here. And slowly but surely, we stop living in opposition to Jesus and we start living the way we were created to live. May he give us eyes to see. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you have sent your son, that you showed us truly who you are and who we truly are by sending your son to live for us, to die on our behalf and to rise again to new life. Thank you that we will share in that new life forever with you, Lord Jesus. Give us by your supernatural power of your spirit through ordinary means, give us sight to see you more and more clearly every day. I need it, we need it, the world needs it. And it's in your precious and powerful name I pray, amen.